0: If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: You can then take something from the real world into the virtual world. So I've been scanning things in my house, like teddy bears and things like that, (laughs) and then bringing them into VR so that I can recreate like a virtual apartment.
0: Imagine that you could create an immersive world and that experience could be anything you liked from a classroom situation to a performance venue and limited only by your imagination. Now, guess what? You're not just imagining. Unity Technologies is the world's leading platform for creating 3D content. Their software is free to individuals to download, and they offer free workshops and resources, beginner level and up. Antonia Forster is Senior Advocate and XR Technical Specialist for Industry at Unity Technologies in Bristol. And not only is she in the middle of creating magic, she'd like to invite you to learn more. Antonia, I got a surprise when I was researching you because I would have thought you had a computer science background and (laughs) I found out that's not necessarily so. How did you make the professional journey from your background in zoology and animal behavior to being an XR tech specialist?
1: That's a great question. It was a very strange journey. (laughs) It's not necessarily the most direct way, but I guess it was a case of being opportunistic and kind of pivoting when I saw opportunities. As you said, my background is in zoology. I actually have a a bachelor's in zoology and then a master's degree in ant colony decision-making. And I started a PhD and I intended to stay in academia, but what I found out is that I really wanted to communicate science more than I actually wanted to do it. So I published research. And then when that didn't give me the kind of buzz I wanted, I started doing lots of outreach work and I realized that that is where my passion lay. I really loved talking about science to the public. So I quit my PhD and I moved into science communication. I started working in zoos and science museums. The person who goes, oh, these are the penguins, blah, blah, blah. That was my job. It was pretty good. And then, yeah, I went from zoos to science museums, which is actually a very similar role, but fewer animals. And then a planetarium. And this was the, it's actually the planetarium in Bristol in the UK, which is where I'm based. And it's the only 3D planetarium in the UK. And it's a spherical building with two projectors that allow you to see 3D 360 degree content. And so I started programming. The first programming I'd ever done, the first coding I'd ever learned was in a planetarium, which was a specific language to planetarium software, which is a really weird way to learn. But it was still object-oriented programming, really. And I made the intuition that if I was creating this 3D 360 content, then maybe I could make VR content because that's also a sphere. So this was about three years ago now. The place I was working couldn't fund a headset, so I saved up and I bought my own headset with my own money. And I ended up bringing the planetarium's content from this 12-meter dome into a headset and also creating my own content in VR and putting that on the dome, which was really fun and really cool. And I needed a way to create content that wasn't just astronomy. The language we had was really specific to astronomy. It uses data from NASA and ESA and other space agencies. But there's no way to do like an ocean scene. There was just no capacity for that. So I started learning Unity because Unity was this 3D creation environment that you can really create anything you want. So I started making underwater scenes or like pyramids or anything we wanted to show in our show in Unity and then putting it up on the dome. And eventually I got more into VR and into AR as well, augmented reality. And I got hired as a full-time Unity developer at a company called Ultraleap who do hand tracking. So I spent a year there making things like touchless touchscreens, which was last year during the, well, and the Ongoing pandemic, which was very useful because it means you don't have to physically touch a surface. So I started creating that, but I also created more XR content, like in VR, using hand tracking and moving things around. And then I got a call from Unity about a role which combined my public speaking experience with my developer experience. And that's what I do now. So I'm an XR technical specialist for industry, which basically means making demos in VR and AR, and also delivering lots of talks at conferences and enabling other people to create that kind of content as well. So it really feels like the perfect place to be for me. So yeah, that was my long and strange journey. (laughs) I get the
0: distinct impression you're having a wonderful time doing this. XR, (laughs) It's great. A lot of people, as it was to me a year ago, when you say XR, you're talking about mixed reality. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So XR stands for extended realities, and it's basically just an umbrella term that covers virtual reality, VR and augmented reality and AR. So VR is putting on a headset and being completely immersed in a totally virtual world where you can't see anything real. And AR is more like Pokemon Go and your phone where you would see the real world with some virtual elements on top or like a a Snapchat face filter. And nowadays we're seeing blending of those. So you can put on a headset and with the cameras on the headset, you can see the real world with alterations or elements on top. And because that's becoming more of a blurry line, we use the term XR as more of an umbrella term for all of it.
0: It's an extremely cool thing to experience. It would also be something fun for our listeners because we have a lot of artists listening. We have Mm. educators, as you are, and we have small business maker entrepreneurs. You say that now is a great time for people to start making VR.
1: Definitely, yeah. The headsets are getting cheaper and cheaper as well. So the Quest has come out, which has inbuilt hand tracking. It's cordless as well. You don't need a computer to run it with. So a lot of people are buying that and you can build your own applications and upload them to it. I personally, I think it's a bit easier to upload to a, a tethered headset, so one that plugs into a computer, just because then you can very easily upload to it. But yeah, definitely the technology is getting more accessible, more widespread. There's more content online about how to learn. I actually learned completely from YouTube and from Udemy. So I've, I don't have a computer science course and I've never paid for one. I haven't paid more than £10 for any of my learning. So I really think it is accessible to a lot of people. Mainly the thing you need is just time. What if somebody is starting today and they're a
0: little intimidated, but they would like to learn starting with Unity, I should probably call it Unity Technologies, which is what they mm. ask usually media to say, to Unity Technologies. Where would be a good starting place for, let's say a teacher, an artist, mm. and then maybe a maker?
1: So for me personally, I found a complete course on Udemy, which was all about Unity, called the Complete 3D Game Developer for Unity course. I think that's the name of it. And that was great because it really started from like, here's how you install the program, which I had no idea. So uh, that's the level I needed. And here's what version control is, which I found really intimidating. So I would recommend something like that, a really complete holistic course. Unity has a lot of resources ourselves. So we have a whole learn site and we have a whole education team. Those are really great as well. But if you're at the level where you sort of want help and guidance into things like installing it and just getting really started at that level, then I think, yeah, some of the more holistic courses on Udemy are really great. And they're sort of between 10 and 20 pounds. So they're like very affordable.
0: So roughly $40 (laughs) here in the United States. (laughs) When you take a look at Unity Technologies, initially I would look at that and it would scare me a little bit because it shows you a pricing page, but we should point out that there are a lot of free resources. What are some of your favorite free resources to recommend?
1: Well, the main Unity editor is completely free. If you're an independent individual, so the pricing model is that if you're a business and you're making lots and lots of profit from it, then we have something called Unity Pro. And that's what we would, you know, advise to clients who are making a lot of money. But if you're just an educator, or an artist getting started as an individual and you don't, you know, you either don't want to make profit from it or you don't feel see yourself immediately making, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, then absolutely use the free editor. Like I think most people use the free Unity editor. I did, that's how I started learning as well. Well, so yeah, as an individual, you don't have to worry about that at all. That's the way to get started. Uh, And then the asset store, once you install the editor, you have access to something called the asset store. And say you wanted like a dog in your game or a house, anything really, you just search the store and you can search for free and you can see all the free assets. And there are artists out there who've made brilliant 3D models of everything you can possibly imagine. And there's a whole variety of free stuff. And you just pull it in and you can experiment with it. You can use it for education. They'll often have a sort of credit or attribution license to them. So you just credit the creator, but you can absolutely use it for free. Unity also has a lot of other modules and packages that built on top. So there's something called AR Foundation. If you want to learn to make augmented reality applications, that's also completely free. And that's great because it works with both Android and with iOS and Apple devices. So if you wanted to teach students how to make AR apps on their phones, you don't have to worry which phone they have. It'll work with both of them because AR Foundation sort of is built on top of both of those interfaces. And another great one I'd recommend, there's so many free resources, I'd also recommend Bolt. Bolt is a visual scripting language. So if you don't know how to code, which I didn't at all when I started, Bolt basically has nodes, which are just boxes and arrows, like a flowchart. And you say what you want to do in each box, and then you link the boxes together, and it does the thing you want it to do. And you can build whole games and whole applications just using visual scripting. You absolutely do not have to learn c code, which is what Unity uses under the hood. So that's what I would recommend, yeah.
0: At the time of our conversation, Bolt was a resource with which I was not yet familiar. Antonia said it's easy to find online.
1: If you Google Unity Bolt, you'll find it immediately. And you'll find a lot of free learning resources as well. There's some great tutorials on how to use it. My colleague Ashley put out a fantastic tutorial, which I think is one of our most watched ones actually, on how to use Bolt. It's really, really user-friendly. You don't have to code. (laughs) You'll find the free
0: tutorial to which Antonia is referring on Unity's YouTube channel, along with a lot of other helpful videos that'll either get you started or help you upgrade your skills. That takes care of a couple of the obstacles to actually Mm -hmm. learning to create VR. The cost, Mm -hmm. the fact that a lot of people go, oh no, code, I can't code. What about accessibility? How do we democratize virtual reality and AR more in the future as it gets more widespread?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I mean, I think there's Accessibility obviously means a lot of different things. So accessibility could mean in terms of different access needs, or bodily access needs. So for example, visual impairment can be a big issue. I'm actually working with a friend of mine who has visual impairment to create a VR experience. And the challenging thing in that space, but the crucial thing is that every different access need is different. You can't just design in a way that is gonna be universally accessible because you know, visual impairment means a lot of different things to different people. So one thing I recommend personally, especially for mixed reality experiences, is multimodal input. So what I mean by that is you could reach out and touch something, or you can use a voice command, or you can use eye tracking and look at it, or you can use a controller. And the more modes of input you have, the more accessible that's going to be, because maybe with hand tracking, if you can't raise your arm, that's going to be a problem, or with, you know gaze detection and eye tracking. If you have like a lazy eye or you're visually impaired, that's going to be more of an issue. So I think having that breadth of input is really key. But also in terms of accessibility, economic accessibility is a big issue. Classically, one of the big problems with XR for me personally, until I became an XR technical specialist in my current role, I'd only ever developed for two devices, one headset, which I bought, and my phone. And that was it. (laughs) But that wasn't prohibitive, you know, It was still clear to my employer that I developed for every device I did have access to. So it wasn't necessary to say I've got, you know, 10 different VR headsets. Like, it's just, you know, it's unnecessary, albeit cool. If you can (laughs) get that many, then go for it. But what I will say is that the number of different devices coming out now is increasing and the tech is definitely becoming more accessible. So there's an organization called Zappar and they had a Kickstarter. So for anyone who doesn't know, Kickstarter is... A website where people put up a product that is sort of speculative. And if enough people fund it, they go and they make it. And so they put up a product which was a $60, it was either $40 or $60 headset. And basically, it's a kind of mobile phone type one where it has a mount and you mount it in front of your eyes, but it also has controllers. And that's something I hadn't ever seen before. So you can create this mixed reality content where you can use your phone camera and these controllers to actually interact with augmented reality. And so I funded that. And I'm going to be creating some free tutorials for that and putting them out on YouTube and also on my social media, because I really I'll think Excel play. should be accessible.
0: And here's that Zapper website for more information.
1: Z-A-P-P-A-R. That's the company. And the actual product is called the Zapbox. So if you're an educator that's interested in doing AR stuff in the classroom, that works really well because you, I think in fact, they might have an educator's pack where you order a bunch of them at once, but you just use existing smartphones, which like the majority of people, not everyone, you know, and it's important to remember not everyone, but a lot of people do have smartphones. And if not, you can buy a bunch of smartphones for pretty cheap nowadays.
0: Let's do some brainstorming here. What if we have an educator who's just getting started making AR or VR? What would be a very simple app they could make in maybe a day?
1: Definitely, yeah. I would say one of the simplest ways to start is an image anchor or image tracking. So for example, if you have a Christmas card and you want a character to spawn on top of that card, that's a very simple thing to do. You can use whatever, you know, a book, a QR code, anything like that. And something like a phone can then find that image and then spawn it on that image. That's a really straightforward thing to get started with in terms of augmented reality.
0: I could see that being a lot of fun for the
1: teacher and for students. What right, and exactly. And you can have, you know, the model that you're spawning, it doesn't have to be a character. It's equally easy to make, you know, anything. So it could be a molecule and you could have that spawn on a, you could have a periodic table and have different elements spawning on different parts of the periodic table, for example. As an idea wow. for my head. I'm sure you can think of much better ideas, but that's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, just spitballing.
0: I saw something fun on your LinkedIn site where you say, science is endlessly fascinating to me. And that <laughs> sounds like something you could do to make it endlessly fascinating to other kids as well. That would be really fun.
1: Definitely. Like
0: us and other kids that are smaller. Things I think it's also
1: great to get kids involved in this sort of technology because you know, this job when I was in school, it didn't exist. And there was no way I could have been educated to prepare myself for a job that wasn't a job at the time. And I think that's only gonna be the case more and more as this technology accelerates. So we don't really know what to teach people to be ready for XR in 10 or 20 years because we don't know where it's gonna be. But I think just getting an interest in it now and just dabbling with it and not being intimidated by it is definitely the first step.
0: I personally love this because this was not around when I was in college a zillion years ago. This is like, we did filmmaking. but there was no way you could do 360. What mm. are some of the applications right now that you would recommend for artists and makers who might like to take a look at making VR or AR?
1: That's a really good question. Well, in terms of VR, this is very timely because Google's Tilt Brush application has just become open source. So Tilt Brush, for anyone who doesn't know, is where you put on a VR headset, so it's entirely in virtual reality, you don't see the real world, and you have brushes attached to your controllers, you can choose different brushes, and you sculpt in 3D. So you can draw, and, and you have different brush effects, and obviously they can be animated, so you could like create a fire. For some reason, a campfire seems to be the main thing people draw when they first go in, which I think speaks to something really base and you know innate in people that we want to gather around the campfire. But yeah, you can move around your sculpture and create things. You can shrink it down so you could blow it up, kind of sculpt it massive and then shrink it back down for detail. And I think one of the first things people have created with it being open source is multiplayer. So you can have multiple people experiencing and sculpting together. And I think that's amazing. I would love to see what artists do with that moving forward, especially now it's open source because it means that you can actually build on top of that. You know, with if you do decide to go into learning coding, you can start building your own applications on top, not just sculpting, but creating your own tools, creating your own brushes, or just seeing what the community has made because now it's open for everyone. So I think that's a great application. In terms of AR, I've seen some really interesting applications for statues. So for, I think it was last year for Black History Month, kind of during the BLM movement. I might be getting my timings mixed up, but it might have been just before Black History Month. A bunch of statues were torn down and some enterprising artists developed an AR application where you could point your phone at the plinth where the statue used to be and you could see Black rights activists and Black rights protesters there instead, which I think is such a good application of the technology. That is
0: seriously um, cool. I love that. Wow. It's pretty great.
1: As someone from Bristol who, you know, our our statue of Colston, Edward Colston, was torn down and it sort of started sparking this movement. I don't know if it was the very first one in that movement, but it certainly made headlines and got the ball rolling there. Yeah, I love to see AR being used in that kind of way. I think that's really fascinating.
0: What are some of the things that you're, let's do a shameless plug, that you're going to be involved in right now for artists, for educators, and in the areas of social activism and any kind of education? That is a good point. I'm going to actually check my schedule to tell you
1: because I have so much on. God, I'm doing a lot of things. Well, in terms of my day job, I'm actually involved in XR for industry. So most of the applications I'm looking at are around things like safety and training and simulation. And that's everything from architecture to aerospace to construction. So it's a really wide gamut of things. I do have a, a thing about film coming up soon. So I have a what's called a Digital Developer Day, which is basically an outreach event. It's all about media and entertainment. So it's all mm-hmm. about the way that Unity, you know, uses our tools and creates our tools for artists and for film. So we yeah, we say media and entertainment, but I would definitely include visual artists in that, but particularly in the area of like animation, film, TV, virtual production, anything like that. So that's on the 26th of March. So if you have any interest in, if you're an artist, particularly interested in XR or interested in virtual or digital art in any way, I would definitely recommend coming along to that. God, I'm doing so many things. I don't know which ones are most relevant. At the moment, personally, I'm experimenting with LiDAR and photogrammetry. LiDAR, for those who aren't familiar, is like radar, like what submarines have, but with light. So nowadays, LiDAR is incorporated onto the latest iPad that came out last year and the latest iPhone. So it means you can get these really accurate 3D scans of real world objects. And what I find fascinating is you can then take something from the real world into the virtual world. So I've been scanning things in my house, like random, I don't know, plushies, teddy bears (laughs) and things like that. And then bringing them into VR so that I can recreate like a virtual apartment with these scans of real objects, which is a really strange, like workflow from real life to the virtual and back again. And of course, you can visualize them in AR as well. So I could scan my shoes and then I could see them in augmented reality and send them to someone else and they could visualize them on their desk. And that has a lot of implications for like consumer and retail, but also for artists, you know, you can create these sculptures involving scans of things that you can then deform and change. You can also use LIDAR for volumetric video, which is basically 3d video capture so you can film something and what you get back is a a series of colored dots that form a 3d volume of something in motion so it could be a person or a dancer or you know a dog it could be anything and yeah you can you can change that in whatever way you want in the virtual world you could put that in virtual reality if you wanted you could view it on a traditional monitor there's just endless possibilities of ways you could combine this technology (laughs) like yeah there's Honestly, an infinite number of ways you could use it.
0: When you say you are scanning a teddy bear and scanning items in your apartment, are you just using your iPhone or what are you using?
1: Yeah, I'm using an iPad. So I'm using the iPad Pro 2020, the 11-inch one, and that has LiDAR. I will say that objects smaller than a certain size so photogrammetry is a slightly different method where you take photographs and stitch them together with a piece of software like Meshroom. And that works better for smaller objects. Whereas larger ones, LiDAR is more suitable for things like scanning a whole apartment. Or um, I have a, a plushie of a Kirby. For some reason, this has become what I'm known for on Twitter mm. that I, I scanned this like Kirby toy. It's about half a meter and that works really well. That seems to be quite a good size. Whereas something like yeah, a bracelet or a pair of shoes. It might be a little too small for LiDAR, but you would, you would do well with photogrammetry for something like that. But yeah, you can, you can scan a whole building, really anything. Wow. I had heard of LiDAR before
0: as relates to autonomous vehicles, but not to creating mm. virtual reality. This is really something. It's
1: moving forward so fast all the time. It's really cool.
0: What would you consider one of the most important learning experiences you had as you learned to make immersive technology, VR, mm-hmm. AR, anything of that nature?
1: I would say that the, the most important learning I've had is not specific to XR, but is more about learning tech and getting into tech from a background that wasn't, you know, traditionally technical, I guess, which is that when I started, I felt the need to understand everything because in biology or zoology, I had quite a good understanding of everything I was reading. It was rare that I'd come across a concept that was completely new to me or a word that I had no idea what it meant. And if I did, I would go away, research it quite thoroughly and come back. Tech is not like that because it moves so quickly and you work with such a broad range of technologies that you're very likely to come across things that you either don't know what they are or you can use them, but they you don't know how they work. And that is not really normal in like a lab environment, but it's very normal in tech. You know, we all use a computer, but if we sat around... You know, being upset that we didn't know exactly how it worked down to the silicon, we would never get anything done. So I came to this realization that, like, I had to just accept it at some level and move on and not be a perfectionist and extremely thorough. And I learned a lot more that way. So, yeah, the first was that just because I don't understand something, it doesn't mean that that's necessarily a problem or that I don't belong. I have always struggled and still struggle with imposter syndrome as. I'm sure many viewers will have as well. Many people, artists, writers. I think we all we all struggle. I think it's part all of the human us. Situation. Yeah. But um, yeah, tech is really prone to breeding that feeling because you're constantly working with things you don't understand. And then the second learning was that if I'm following a tutorial where I really do want to understand something and it isn't working for me and I don't understand it, it doesn't mean I'm not good. It's just that the content might not be very good and I should just move on and try another tutorial. <laughs> it took me an embarrassingly long time to figure this out. But I would always just be like, no, I'm problematic. And in tech, especially because it's moving forward so fast, in science, if you learn something broadly, in 10 years, it's still going to be true. In tech, that is absolutely not the case. So you could follow a YouTube tutorial made six months ago and it's out of date. It just is not going to work for you. But you don't know that until you try. Then you see the comments where everyone's like, this doesn't work anymore, or you just realize it's six months old. So if it doesn't work, that's fine. You might not be doing anything wrong. You might just need a newer tutorial or just a different one. Maybe you just learn in a different way. So Tech is quite a different space to science, in my experience, in, in that specific way.
0: That's so encouraging to hear a science person say that about imposter syndrome, because as an arts person, I've encountered that a lot, like, who do I think I am learning virtual reality? But I don't oh, know <laughs> yeah, that I you, feel. seriously?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Like, people ask me for interviews of like, oh, I need your expertise. I'm like, I don't have any expertise. I have no idea what's going on. I just Google things all day. Like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs>
0: Well, in total fairness to you and my audience, I have taken several of your webinars. You are amazing. You know a lot about this. I really enjoy learning with you. I think a lot of other people will too. Let's mention where people can find out more about the March 26th workshop. You mentioned anything else you might like to know about Unity Technologies?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, the best place for people to connect with me is to either follow me on Twitter or on LinkedIn. So on Twitter, I'm Antonia R. Forster. So A-N-T-O-N-I-A R. F-O-R-S-T-E-R. And then on LinkedIn, I'm Antonio Forster. I'm very easy to find because I have bright orange hair and I'm usually wearing a VR headset. And yeah, I post about everything I'm doing on there. So any of my upcoming events, of which there are quite a few, you'll probably find on there.
0: Is there a link that we should also look at for Unity Technologies where people can see some of these? free?
1: Yeah, so I've got two, I guess the two coming up are our Digital Developer Days. So we've got one, which is an Industrial Digital Developer Day. So if anyone here is working in architecture, engineering, construction, automotive, manufacture, anything like that, then that would be more relevant. And then that's on the 19th of March. And then on the 26th of March, we have our Artist Media and Entertainment Digital Developer Day. So that will probably be relevant to quite a few listeners here. So yeah, I'm happy to send the links to those so that you can find them in whichever way you want to make them available. (laughs)
0: Fantastic. Well, I certainly will. I suspect that our audience will really like the one that you're going to be doing on the 26th of March. That's the one. That would be great. I'd
1: love to see people there. I'm going to be taking a we're premiering a new asset that we've created, some digital characters, which are very cute. And we're going to be releasing them for everyone to use freely, which will be super exciting. I can't say too much more, but we've got those characters and I'm going to be doing a walkthrough of how to put those characters in augmented reality. So exactly like I mentioned, getting them to spawn on a picture in real life. So you hold up your phone to a card or postcard or a cereal box The character will spawn on there. And then we're going to also add some buttons to make them do different poses and interact with the user a little bit. So I'll be doing a full tutorial at that talk on how to do that. So I'd love to see some of the viewers there.
0: You will probably see me there because I would love to know more about this as well. Great. I'll do a shout out when I see you. (laughs) I'm going to do another shameless plug. You're doing something seriously cool right now. You're developing venues for artists Mm. right now in Unity. Would you tell me a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working with Oliver Pavicevic, who is a brilliant creator. He's a film expert. He's also, I think, a professor, but certainly a lecturer. And so he uses Unity to produce a digital film. But one thing he has worked on is he's created what's called a chroma keyer. And a chroma keyer is a piece of software that looks at a green screen like the one behind me. For those who are actually watching the visual recording and not just the audio recording, I've got a green screen behind me. And it will find the green screen and erase it. So essentially like a virtual background on Zoom for everyone who's using Zoom during the lockdown. But he's added a lot of really clever features such as lighting interaction. So if you put a virtual light in the virtual world, it will shine on your real self. So it will create what's called a normal map, like a kind of a relief map of your body. And then it will cast light and shadows, even though it's just a virtual light. And you as a person will cast shadows on the virtual world. So you can stretch out your hand and you know it will cast volumetric shadows in this virtual world. So he's really taken it to the extreme and produced a, a venue where he can play music live because he also can play bass and that live music will stream back into the virtual world and all the lights will react. So you can have lasers, you can have smoke machines, whatever you want reacting to your music. And I think this has massive potential for performers because I know that lockdown has been really challenging for artists, performers, dancers, drag queens, DJs, like everyone's really struggling. So the idea of having this virtual performance space means it might be easier to encourage people to actually sort of pay for the art that they're consuming and attend, you know, really immersive uh, events. So that's not in VR, just to clarify, there are also virtual performance spaces in VR, but this particular technology is more based on traditional screen-based content. But I think it's perfect for performers because most people who are tuning into events probably don't have VR headsets. So it makes it you know, really accessible for everyone as well.
0: If people could only get one thing from you and your work with Unity Technologies about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from you?
1: I think if you and the viewers were to take away one thing, it is that XR. And tech generally is for everybody. It is not just something you need a computer science background for. It does not mean you have to program. Coding is not as intimidating as it looks, but you also don't need to do it to be an XR creator. Everyone is an absolute expert in something. And I would love for more creators to embrace this technology and to use it to tell their story and to communicate the thing that they are an expert of. Because I am not an expert in many, many fields. I like to empower people to use the tech to bring their expertise to the world and to teach others and to tell their own stories. So if there's anything I can do to empower you or any of the listeners, please do reach out and let me know. But yeah, know that technology is for you. It is for everyone. And XR belongs to us all.
0: Antonia, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. You and I have been listening to Antonia Forster senior advocate and XR specialist for industry at Unity Technologies in Bristol, United Kingdom. As Antonia mentioned, Unity Technologies has two upcoming Digital Developer Days. The first one, their Digital Developer Day for Industry, happens March 19th. This one's for architects, construction, aerospace, and so forth. Then the following week, March 26th, they host one for artists, media, and entertainment. I might just see you there. For more information, follow Antonia on Twitter at Antonia R. Forster. That's Antonia, A-N-T-O-N-I-A, R, as in Roger. Forster is spelled F-O-R-S-T-E-R. You can also connect with her on LinkedIn at Antonia Forster. And get a look at Unity.com, where you can download the free Unity editor and start taking some workshops on their Unity Learn tab. That's Unity.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at 2mavericks.com. That's 2 T W O Mavericks, M A V E R I X. And you can contact us at 2mavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.